Hi, welcome to Sibling Vulnerability. Uh, This week we recorded our fourth episode. It's about blindness. Uh, Doug and I really got into this one, so it's pretty long. Hope you enjoy. Got it. Yay, welcome to Sibling Vulnerability number four. Yay, episode four. Episode four. I'm Shauna. I uh, reside on Sinaiq's territory. I still don't know what my city might have been called by the traditional mm-hmm. peoples, but now it's called Castlegar. Um, I always forget to look into things that I'm interested in after the moments passed, unfortunately. So I still don't know. But I'm um, happy to live on this beautiful land with uh, Columbia flowing through it. Lots of good and bad history there. <laughs> yeah, it is lovely land. Just sometimes the care, a lot of times the caretakers uh, previously to our First Nations uh, people have been assholes. Yeah, the settlers uh, lose for settlers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Dougie Kane. I am residing on the unceded uh, territory of the Kikite First Nation uh, in the colonial city of New Westminster, our first capital. Lots of big houses. I'm sure uh, a lot of big, you know, rich white people lived here at first. I get to walk through Queens Park and enjoy that. Um, It is a lovely town. Um, I think one thing that I've been working on in my reconciliation journey, and uh, now that I'm on a bit of a a work sabbatical, I think I'm gonna take it more serious, is completing the University of Alberta course on Indigenous Studies. So I think uh, Monday that will start to be like, I should just devote a couple of hours to that and do uh, some learning in my brain about um, the people who inhabit this land and took care of it for us for so many years for colonizers to come and basically bulldoze and turn it to a shithole. A lovely shithole, but sometimes, you know, it's not exactly nature's, you know, little beast anymore or whatever, nature's little neighborhood anymore. Right. A lot of cement and all that. Yes. The... Uh, Oh, though I have to say, Doug, I was just visiting you a couple Mm -hmm. weeks ago, and I really noticed, comparatively to when I lived in New West, Mm -hmm. that there is a lot of uh, tree planting going on in neighborhoods. Um, So, I mean, you know, I know it's not perfect, but I think there is some, some good strategies happening there. I'm pretty lucky in in the grand scheme of things, the GVRD, I would say New Westminster is one of the best cities. Uh, I am very lucky. I might as well just get into this because uh, what we're going to talk about today is Dougie is going to talk all about blindness. Uh, And New West for me is actually a very accessible city, which is amazing. I, uh, uh, A, we're in New Westminster and I don't actually have to deal with hills, which if you've ever been to New Westminster, it is uh, quite hilly. So once you're past the brow, you're, uh, you're doing pretty good. Uh, another fun fact I, I love is that I live so close to where you lived in New Westminster for a period of time on Walmsley Street. And I don't know if it's true, but I like to make a joke that it's where Jacob was conceived. Uh, possibly. Uh, I think, yes, that is true. Most so likely. Next- Next time, next time your first son is here, I'm going to make him go take him down there. Jake, we got to take a photo of you in this weird house because it's still, I don't know if it was when if the, the landlords were weird and, and kind of sketchy when you rented there, but the people that own it now certainly are. Yeah. So I don't know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if Pat and Trish still own it, but they, um, they were pretty good landlords and they, okay. you know, Oh you yeah, could, I do remember them now. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. yeah, you could bring your check about a week late and no one would complain. Um, okay, but well, um, at the but yeah, sometimes they they like to party quite mm. a bit. I had to go give them heck a couple times, which is kind mm. of a weird situation when you're going to give your landlord. Yeah, yeah. But, can you tone um, it down a bit? <laughs> yeah, can you settle down a bit? The woman crying is really annoying me. 
you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool walkout basement suite that had yeah. so much light and we had a yard. And, did. you know, the rape alley to get to our door was a little bit scary. But um, yeah, <laughs> they, last <laughs> year, last crowded. year they put. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. That was very insensitive comment that I made. But I actually, I always call it a meth. I always call it a meth alley because there's literally there was for the longest time right actually at your old house like a 1970s RV that always looked in a disrepair, but there somebody was always working on it for like five years. Then there was like two like just burnt out child capturing vans uh those standard dodge vans with no windows those are always scary yeah uh so it's like just this i'm like man all these look like drug dealing cars or meth cars or something or i don't know yeah that's the beauty of new west right yeah absolutely like it's a lovely neighborhood and it's got its uh challenging parts Actually, my neighborhood sort of like that too. It's kind of like, I think it's changing over because um, there was a lot more rentals for a while. Our housing markets changed that. So there's more stable housing. But I live in like a real, the, I consider it the best neighborhood in Castlegar because it's uh, completely walkable and yeah. it's close to the schools and, um, the library and all sorts of really great things. But I get, you know, there is social problems no matter where you live. That's the, that's, that's that. the, and actually I feel like it, I would rather have it be somewhat visible because you mm. could be in living in some really rich part of town and, you know, the guy next door is still beating his wife. Yeah. It doesn't, think, uh, it doesn't preclude you from social problems. It just allows you to hide them better. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, well, the one thing that's been hard for me is, and I've definitely noticed this since the pandemic, is you can clearly see the amount of homelessness in New Westminster has like gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, before you would maybe see on a given day, like, you know, like and I only walk I only work uh about uh eight I will only take an eight minute walk from uh from my house to work and before the pandemic you'd maybe see one or two uh you uh you know, homeless people and now it's like you'll see six to eight yeah which is you know a huge inc- and I'm always like okay well that's just six to eight that I've found public probably the best places to sleep and the safest there's probably way more in places that aren't as comfortable aren't as safe uh so yeah and it just some of the real realities of the pandemic i think yeah oh i think it's it's the pandemic and our way over inflated housing market in bc too because in our part of the world there is definitely an increase in Mm. uh people that are not housed or have a pretty darn precarious housing yeah, situation housing. going on yeah so. and they just said that and this is a lie that was told to us by the government or rich people as well they said well it doesn't actually impact you know other houses it only impacts rich people houses that are going up everyone else will be fine i'm like that's not true no a rich person sells her house and then goes over pays for another house and they don't care and then that causes everything to go up yeah well i don't know i mean like um Victor and I have considered selling our house, but we're afraid that we can't, we can't sell, we can't find another one if we do sell our house. That's not. Uh, that's exactly how I'd feel as well. Yeah. yeah. I know I wouldn't be able to get something as good for the same amount of money. Yeah, we definitely can't do that. Um, and I don't know. We have a really quite a nice house. So you do. I am pretty happy here. I'm a little bit dreaming of land a little bit of land just because Uh i have some business ideas that would uh, 
you know, dog involved that would. You want to make sure there's nice, well-behaved dogs in the world, Sean, and people take have good owners and they're well-trained. Those are good aspirations. They are. So anyway, so um, I had a really good meeting with my uh, pro dog trainer group today. That was what mm. I did earlier today. And okay, nice. So that was good. And I, um, I think we might do this and this is a really fun idea and maybe, um, so some people are kind of nervous about just getting started. So we might all like take, or whoever is interested mm -hmm. can take, um, a turn hosting an online class and then the participants in our group will participate in the class. Mm. So. That's a good way to start to feel comfortable doing facilitation. Yeah, it is. I've been doing some uh, Facebook live videos too. Mm. I, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. You've been doing some yeah. Facebook live videos. Where are you? Yeah, so I, uh, my uh, kind of dog training I do is uh, games based. It's based mm. on teaching your dog concepts. Um, so, and there's these games that you play to help te teach them the concepts. Mm. And so I've been doing to gain some confidence uh, at explaining to people what the heck I'm doing. I've been doing little live Facebook videos. Oh. So if you check me out on Facebook, Shauna Joy via Dow, <laughs> um, then you can see some lives there that I've done and uh, you can learn some fun games to play with your dogs. Amazing, thank you. I'll check those out so I can play some fun games with Lola. There you go. So it'll be, it's, yeah. So it's been pretty fun. Cool. Yeah. I've, uh, I did a little video the other day. It's kind of part, I'm calling it some cane comedy because there's definitely some, uh, some blindness jokes in there, <laughs> yeah. uh, under, uh, Dougie cane comedy. That's my YouTube channel or my Facebook account, Dougie cane comedy or my Instagram, Dougie cane. That's my, uh, that's my alter ego. Uh, uh, my real last name is Dow, uh, similar to, to Shauna's because we have the same parents as the word <laughs> sibling uh, indicates. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I like the idea of uh, uh, one thing I was going to talk about is blindness. And one thing I was going to say is I saying from an early point, really, even in the Bible, that I feel that there has been an unnatural fear around blindness uh, from society. It comes from those texts. It comes from numerous horrible portrayals in the media, uh, books. Um, we're just getting to the point, I'd say, in the last 20 years where we're starting to see uh, positive influences uh, who are blind, strong blind role models breaking through in places, in things like media, like uh, a book, for an example, is there is a book called uh, All the Things I Cannot See, which is about, a, uh, I believe, a French girl who falls in love with a German boy uh, during World War II, and just all the crazy dynamics in a relationship like that would happen taking place in, in a war, and it is amazing and for me was one of the first things that allowed me to feel more confidence about my own blindness yeah. uh to be honest uh i think i'm trying to think if that predates me using uh a cane i, I like to go uh mark my life with uh bc <laughs> and ac before cane <laughs> and after cane and after cane came at about 40 and that's actually pretty accurate for uh your I used to think, oh, man, I can't believe I waited this long. But then one of my close friends didn't start using a cane until 40. Another close friend didn't start using a cane until like, you know, mid 30s. And it's like not most of these people have vision that is actually less than me. So it kind of generally I feel the rule of thumb probably up until about 10 years ago was unless you couldn't see it all. If you had any usable vision, whether that was one or two percent you avoided using a cane at all costs to avoid um, associating yourself as a blind person because you knew that that was going to lower your employment opportunities. That is already gonna probably lower your social opportunities. Um, 
So my, maybe I'll start ranting. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to explain what my vision condition is first. I have a congenital nystigmus, uh, which means I was born with my vision condition. Uh, it's hereditary because I have the same vision condition as my sister, uh, who is five years older than me. I'm assuming there is a gr probably a greater history of vision conditions in our extended family tree uh, beyond us. Um, well, let's uh, one, one for sure, and this is mm -hmm. a different condition, but our dad was actually mm -hmm. blind um, cross-eyed, and I don't know that. Oh, wow. Of that. Well, I know I have an inverted eye, so that could have been a similar thing. Yeah, so that's a, that's a true story, Doug. I like to, I've said this before uh, in my uh, blind beginnings uh, profile uh, is uh, I volunteer for an organization called Blind Beginnings, which is uh, dedicated to uh, kind of using counseling services, offering programs, helping families uh, for, for, uh, for children, if you're parent and you have a child who's blind for youth all the way up to, to adults and then generally adults still stick around and help volunteer and coordinate programs because the thing is with the blindness community once you're in it's pretty tight-knit yeah um anyway so i have congenital nystigmus uh i also have uh so what that means is it is a rhythmic movement of your eyes so your eyes are always kind of moving around uh, and it allows you not to focus on things as much. Uh, I would have a visual acuity of what is called uh, 20 over 200. Uh, I personally believe the visual acuity charts are full of shit. They're useless. Basically, if you can see that big E, you've got 20 over 200. That's ridiculous. Most people with 2% vision can still know, see that E, see it's blurry or know it's an E. So these tests I feel are utterly ridiculous. We should have actual environmental tests. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to say, take me out to the environment and see how much I can see there in the real world. And it's going to be way worse than that biggie. I guarantee it. Anyway, there's a little rant about me and my feelings about the visual acuity tests. Um, yeah. I, also I, I, I just want to say, Doug, too, about your point about the environment is, um, you know, uh, environments are always changing and you know one thing I know that you've told me which I didn't think about until you told me is how exhausting it is when you're with low vision in the world oh, and yes. you have like you know real things to um, navigate and so mm -hmm. like the transit system <laughs> and if you think about living in a big city and you have to be pretty vigilant in the world Oh my God! And your dude. vision is <laughs> is compromised, and people yeah. might like to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, pretty scary. And it is, navigate. It is. It is all of those things. So, a number one, I've always felt extremely lucky because I'm a white male. So, in terms of potential people to harass and invade my space, it is the most minimal of any other intersection in my view. Yeah. Um, because people have been socialized to not, don't, don't ask a, a he's a, come on, he's a guy, he knows what he's doing, don't even ask. But if it's anyone else, you should invade their personal space. That doesn't mean that I don't get my personal space invaded. Absolutely happens, but I'm sure it's probably half as much as somebody with different intersections than I. Um, and probably more negative to be blunt. Yeah. Um, which is uh, because our society is uh, very slow in adapting to change. Um, anyway, I also have another, I have a cosmetic thing, I guess, similar to our father, but it's like my one eye, my right eye kind of inverts towards my nose. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really move and it freaks people out. It's freak. My God, I have a friend that's, uh, it's interesting uh, you know, I, I, I've always been pretty good about not feeling self-conscious about it, but then sometimes even other blind people have made <laughs> me feel self-conscious about it. Like, hey, have you ever thought about getting surgery to correct that? I'm like, no, it doesn't affect my vision. Are you sure? 
like every ophthalmologist I've talked to over the last 20 years has said not and you're just fucking drunk after a beer so I don't know why you <laughs> seem to think you know what you're talking about come on, um, on dog eight beers makes everybody uh, an expert yeah exactly it's, it <laughs> does it does and loud a loud usually spray expert <laughs> so yeah and I'd be like and then I'd just be like, well, how can you, if you really are, you're always complaining about how bad your vision is, but you can notice something about like how my eye inverts is just dumb. Um, but that happens in our community sometimes, which is frustrating. Sometimes I, I love being a part of the blind community, but sometimes you have to fight disinformation within your own community, which is uh, a bit maddening on times yeah uh anyway so my eye inverts uh, that causes uh though especially at school children in general to just stop look and gawk right you know automatically i cannot hide that i have a visual impairment even though i tried mightily for 40 years yeah. i mean even though i wasn't there were certain things that have prevented me from hiding it even say more than uh my older sibling uh, because her inversion isn't as bad as mine. Um, and also, I also have uh, no cartilage in my nose. So that was also noticeable. So I had two cosmetic things. Uh, so that automatically, you know, in the 80s, uh, invited people to just come into my personal space and ask me questions on a daily basis, uh, which in some ways is why I feel my social skills are so good. <laughs> and other reasons why I really dislike people. Yes. <laughs> uh because it's quite the paradox <laughs> it is it is uh fortunately my social skills are so high <laughs> that people can't that i can have a complete conversation and probably despise you and you won't even know yeah yeah gift, really actually uh i think i have some of those skills doug i i okay. mostly use them <laughs> in my employment situations yes um i i have uh pretty much i'm like if if you ever have me being a real bitch to you, you're probably mm -hmm. a good friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that's like not excusable behavior. But if I don't really know you and we have a different sort of relationship, I'm mm -hmm. probably not going to let you know that I think you're a jerk mm. or whatever, you know, um, unless I have to. But, but that's I... more of a personal level thing for me, you know. Mm. <laughs> I feel like the three of us siblings all have these skills kind of ingrained to us because it's very much, I think they develop as part of our being independent raising that we had. Yeah. Uh, like I never really, I neither, neither me or our, or my, like our, my sister had, a, had anyone that was ever going to shield us from these questions. We always had to kind of just answer them directly and ourselves and without really guidance around that uh which is a challenge for sure uh, uh especially going through like uh as so i and another uh thing for both uh my sister and i is we would have been the first generation of children that would have uh, navigated the public school system i believe that just started for generally blind children in in bc uh, prior to 1980, you would have been sent away to a school for the blind. I often try and explain this to even to my to to my uh, friends that um, are blind but became blinder later in life, and uh, you know they don't fully understand uh, the difficulties of actual uh, navigating school and uh, school with a sensory disability. Yeah. Uh, but that would have been prior to that we would have been taken away from our families and, and sent to a different school, which is great. Probably wouldn't have been that much different because our families are so separated anyway, but still the, the idea of it, I like to say is horrible. Um, well, I mean, uh, and it is different in this way because, you know, um, because uh, for one thing, you would become more institutionalized. Yes. Um, and I work with institutionalized people, so I know what that's about. Um, yeah. And also um, at greater risk of all sorts of abuses, because yes. that's You're just right. a fact of um, 
of institutions. You're away from the people that are there to protect you the most. They can't determine or check anything. And those people have so much time to brainwash you that when you go back, you would probably be absolutely scared to talk if anything did happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, uh, let's see. I mean, yeah. You know, by no means did we live in the safest living environments, but um, <laughs> no, overall, they weren't, too bad. Uh, they weren't too bad, probably. Yeah. Uh, overall, there's, there's, I am, even though we didn't have, say, the most privilege, I'm grateful. For me, I'm very grateful of, I mean, all my experiences, because that is why I am who I am today. It is why I have probably a dogged determination uh oftentimes you know sometimes it's hard i i i, I actually kind of uh, i found this a compliment my wife the other day said like when i'm dealing with uh, like other companies she's like like i thought i could be difficult but like i've never met somebody uh, just like i would hate to talk to you if i have displeased you or something because it's not like i'm even angry but i am just to the point constantly with question after question after question to absolutely exhaust you <laughs> into saying something ableist <laughs> and then i'll pounce and really go in for the kill um anyway so yeah our public i was very fortunate that i got to go five years behind somebody else in my family for the public school system but that still meant a very awkward uh system of learning because it's they made a decision to say let's integrate uh blind uh, kids into public school. I think kids in general, that was when they were stopping institution of all disabilities and having us go to public schools, which is absolutely the right decision. They just didn't actually have a plan for that. Yeah. So, you know, you'd be in there with teachers that really didn't know how to help you. Like I remember for me, what the ideal suggestion, I couldn't read the board uh, because it was a blackboard with shitty chalk that's already hard for like regular sighted people to read uh but the solution was for me to stand up on the blackboard as close as i could and try and shake notes not actually just give me notes or help out is you stand up and you do this which also just meant constantly being mocked by your classmates of that you're in the way you know i'm sure at that point you were still allowed to throw things if people were in class Bullying was still largely allowed in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it, it is what I feel, feel they determined kind of separate the weak from the uh, from the strong that we're going to make it in this world. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, gym was also usually segregated as well. That was either at the time you would be allowed to either, if you're a boy, you'd be either allowed to like uh, play sports with women I think if you're a blind woman, you probably just weren't allowed to play sports or I was uh, allowed to go to a basketball and shoot hoops by myself. That's generally my two sporting experiences. I usually preferred basketball by myself. Right. Beat, beat dodgeball, whereas just, you know, you're going to get hit first because it's just a natural thing. Go for the slowest moving target. I would do the same as well. I, I know as I've realized when I got into sports, my goal was always to target the weakest player because that's usually the only person I could overcome. So I understood the mentality of it. <laughs> Just didn't make you feel any better being picked last every single time. Yeah. Well, you know, Doug, I feel like my, uh, I was fully allowed to participate in gym, but yeah. I feel like my developmental years were compromised. So um, in I would say probably kindergarten to grade at least two. I think, yeah, by grade three, this had stopped for me. Um, so I had some, I always got pulled out of like uh, gym or arts typically because I needed to like, I had poor motor control. So oh, yes. they wanted to take me out to practice more printing or something useless mm. like that. Um, so I was getting some special help, which meant I got taken out of class, but oh, it yeah. was usually in gym or uh, art. And then I yeah. developed like a phobia about those things because I already didn't feel confident, not phobia, yeah. anxiety. Yeah. And so I was just like, I 
God, boy, did I try to avoid PE. Yeah, I, I would imagine, I definitely know I would have been in uh, the, uh, I think it was called the itinerary room at the time or the learning support room, as they call them now, yeah. uh, pretty frequently throughout my school years. Um, around, that was basically kind of my experience from grades kindergarten to five. And then we moved and then in grade six, I kind of, you get another level. I got like a, what's known as a vision teacher, oh. which is helpful in that you have a set of eyes and people can help you, but you know, then you also have to explain this dynamic why you have a 45 year old woman trailing you around every <laughs> single class in your social circle, which is a little weird. Yeah. You know, and so I had that from grade six until grade six, no, five, grade five until grade eight. I had a vision teacher for four years. Right. And that was a combination of finishing uh, elementary school in Vancouver and then middle school in uh, Nelson. Oh, I should state my early school years were a combination of Hudson Hope and Prince George. Just so people know, not only did I deal with this with a vision condition. I also went to so many schools in my life that I was constantly probably unregulated from every school. And the fact that I even closely graduated with the dis well, with two disabilities, because I know I have a hearing loss as well, is pretty incredible. Because yeah. um, I know, and it certainly wasn't based on trying, because I really, um, let's see, then I hit Nelson. And I did actually okay for those two years. It's probably the best I felt in school is the most confidence I had. And then we moved again uh, to Selmo. And this time though, I decided that I was going into grade nine and I was gonna abandon the vision teacher because I just, you know, I couldn't have a 50 year old woman trailing behind me for my final three years of high school. That was going to not, not really sit well with me. Yeah. And in a smaller town as well. Yeah, uh, but I just uh, I found in some ways that was easy because of the smallness of the school, uh, but again also not very well equipped for handling a person with a disability. Right. Um, I found the classes that I would do best with just happened to be like some teachers at that point were very good at auditorily delivering their notes versus writing them on the board and which was super helpful for me because I'm like oh I can I had a computer at that point so I'm like okay I can actually write these notes down in a timely manner because I've uh, you know I was pulled up uh, I I often said uh, instead of doing doing French I did remedial French which was typing I was always pulled out of French from like grade five onward to learn typing right uh, so I was a good typer by grade 11. I could not speak French and still cannot, but I could type. I could probably type in French. Yes. But not speak French. Um, anyway, so that was uh, having those teachers that did an auditory style was actually helpful uh, for those couple of classes of English and social studies. And then I, uh, I didn't get my uh, grade 11 math. And like most, most blind children, I didn't officially graduate. I was one credit short. And that credit is my math credit, which is generally pretty much a standard for, I believe the graduation rate for people with a visual impairment is 68%. Yeah. Which is about 20% lower than people without a disability. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh... I have full vision and I didn't quite graduate either. And I think my highest level math that I completed was grade nine. So, uh, <laughs> but um, I've shied away from it. Yeah. Thankfully you can go to school as a mature student and I yeah. had enough English skills that I could enter the program. And I, I picked social services so they don't make you do math upgrading for that. Um, to be as well, though, math in the 70s and the 80s was significantly harder than it is today. Like, I feel they've done a better job of breaking down the classifications of math that you're going to need for more appropriate careers in this school, in the school system now. Yeah. It's getting slightly better. 
I feel math nine practically in the eighties is like like math introduction to math eleven now. Maybe <laughs> might be. Um, anyway, I feel uh, I don't know. I live in a small town, so you kind of have um, regular like foundations mm. and a trades math and calculus or something like the by the time you get to senior so there's yeah. less there's definitely less variety um but anyway doesn't matter uh i'm gonna use i actually you know what what helped me the most in math and i really didn't love this at the time but my our mom and we mm -hmm. play lots of card games Mm. and she used to make me play this game 99 and you had to add up to 99 oh yeah and uh so i can add now yeah yeah that's a, the, the skill you need the most it is actually that's the skill <laughs> i use the most at work is addition and subtraction yep and i work for a big bank but that is generally all people care about yeah because in your bank account it's usually only addition or subtraction it's pretty rare you're having to divide or multiply. No, it's so, like in and out, in and out, yeah, in and yeah, out. And, and that's all I deal with. And I'm pretty good at that math. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Doug, we've digressed a little bit uh, yeah. off of the, the topic my blind, of blindness. My, my blindness <laughs> journey. I want to be included in the podcast, though. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think so. Now I'm uh, I'm graduated school. I'm out in the workforce. I'm a working man. I moved to the city, and my first experience to get a job is uh, I had to donate my time for two weeks to be a dishwasher because you know again I'm blind. Can I really do this? And this is a place that my sister had already, who has the same vision condition as me, has been employed at for like two or three years, oh. but. It's your only opportunity when you have a dish where you can say no or not be or and not be a dishwasher. Yeah. And uh, I don't I believe this is pretty similar to other blind people. I, I one of my friends one time. And well, the other person that lost their uh, their sight uh, at 35, we, we compared work experiences and he's like tried to compare his as being similar to mine. And he's like. Yeah, when I was 15 or 16, my dad gave me a job or, you know, it paid me about 15, 20 bucks an hour. I'm like, I had to beg for work at 20 to do a dishwasher for free. How is this similar to you in any way, you privileged motherfucker? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. oh, it's official, Doug. We have to put explicit on this episode. God plus explicit on this episode. Blindness is going to cause some explicit reaction. <laughs> Oh, so. um, and then I did that for about a year, but, uh, you know, washing dishes. Also, I noticed washing the dish pit is where restaurants did decide to hire people with disabilities because the other dishwasher would have been uh, a person with a, a cognitive disability. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, actually in my schooling, we learned about that you know, when I took my, it's renamed now, but mm. when I took the program, it was called classroom and community support. And mm. so a lot, some of, I've always avoided this role, Doug, not because I don't think it's valuable, but because yeah. I don't want to do these kinds of jobs myself. And so mm. even though you're supporting people to do those jobs, that means you're probably doing some of the job yourself yeah it's, um you know they were like how can we get this group of people with cognitive mm. disabilities <laughs> and physical disabilities more work than just you know basically dish doer and garbage taker outer you know yeah yeah um and there was a, actually a list of four i can't remember the whole but they're all like very kind of the worst of the entry-level jobs you can get yeah, I, you know, I absolutely feel there should be like, I, I feel even if you have a cognitive disability, you still have awareness. Yeah. And you can tell these things. And just in general, if you're in a, a, I feel this idea of having another person help is actually you're building more awareness with that other person, that person is building a connection, and you're showing teamwork 
on how to do something. Like to me, it just makes sense. I'm like, instead of just employing one person, you've employed two people and are improving our society. What's wrong with that? Yes. Um, maybe, maybe I know blind people are really underemployed. Maybe you could team us up with people <laughs> with cognitive disabilities and we could, you know, one, two punch it, you know, use enough signals to figure out their eyesight and help us out. And, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, employ multiple people though, I feel. Well, and I feel like actually too, I mean, because there's a lot of actually people that have quite a lot of skills to offer, yeah. um, but because they don't fit very well into the world in our social structure, um, they're underemployed too, right? So yes, completely- absolutely able to do a lot more jobs but because we're intolerant and can't accommodate a little bit of a social difference mm -hmm. well this <laughs> is where i feel so like i know the employment stats for for people with uh, visual impairments is really low i believe it's around uh 27 in canada yeah but i know most of the people that i know that are employed are white yeah. So then I think what percentage of actual minorities are employed? People with color, indigenous people, women. Like I know that's below that 27% and probably way below it because I swear at least 50% has to be white people, predominantly white males. Like that's what I kind of sense. It's hard without actual real hard numbers. And this is where I feel we really have to, in some ways, start asking more questions through our, our, our statistics, whatever that thing is, our census. Census, yeah. Uh, I personally feel, you know, I feel financial institutions do so much invading a personal space. Why don't we start actually asking our clients if you have a disability and if they do, offer them an RDSP? I know they hate it because they don't necessarily make money on it but it's a way that you get somebody attached. And if they really actually started to try and change their policies to promote more people being hired, then they would actually make money as well. You know, that's kind of like if, if you get that client and then you actually empower them to grow and then you will benefit from that as well. But they're very short-sighted still today. And uh, maybe this is personal because I have been in a, about a seven-year workplace accommodation process <laughs> with my employer, uh, an insurance company, and a not-for-profit uh, workplace accommodation company. Right. And to the best of my knowledge, not a single person in any of these organizations has any education uh, that would say that they are qualified to provide um, uh, services and skills that would actually uh, benefit a person who is that they have a qualified education in the field of blindness. There is an organization called like uh, the Academy Certified Vision Rehab uh, Professionals that, that does certification. Uh, there's either graduates programs, if you want to be an orientation and mobility specialist. Uh, so you have graduates where you got to have a, it's a master's degree, right? That's a legitimate degree <laughs> or, or, or a regular degree. And they refuse to this point to acknowledge that these things even exist. They, they want to use somebody that is completely unqualified. And my concerns are that this person is doing accommodations for the five major financial institutions and these people we are all not getting the the services we deserve as blind people we're we're being forced to work in in situations that are just arduous and anytime we need to make a change we have to go through a very invasive process that involves us giving our personal medical information and then that information not actually being treated with the respect and due care that that should happen if you work for a financial institution to be perfectly blunt i would i've never i i take my job around personal privacy both 
for the financial institution that I work for now and the date chat line that I used to work for extremely seriously. Both times those people deserve protection, whether you're a sleazy dude <laughs> cheating on your wife or whether you're a rich guy with a bank cheating on your wife, you deserve the same top-notch protection. But if you decide, if you have to do a workplace accommodation, then they determine that you don't deserve that and that your information should be passed on unsecurely to people that aren't professionals. And uh, that's hurtful and damaging. And I feel that's happening to all of us. Uh, so if you work for a large financial institution and you've ever had a workplace accommodation, please message Dougie Kane. I would love to talk. I feel we've got great stories to share because I think the system is a fucking shit show. Sorry, we got that R word again there, but that's, oh, no. you know. Hey, like you, you might as well use as many as you can now because <laughs> the explicit sign's already going to be on. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so swear it up, Dougie. Swear yeah. It up. Yeah. So, uh, no. well, I, uh, I hear your frustration and I feel like, um, yeah, I think it would be, um, really beneficial to get some people with the same experience. Um, because as we all know, it's, it is possible for one person to make some changes, maybe, but, it's but hard. It, you actually have a group and a grassroots kind of group that you can, um, you know, uh, garner some more of the same experiences from mm -hmm. and, and take that to the people who are concerned, then you might Absolutely. be able to affect some real change. Maybe Absolutely. CTV. Yes, I will never publicly say that I've ever done anything like that, but I think uh, a movement and bringing this to public attention is required. And I know uh, my peers have had similar experiences as, as me, but this is now where I'm like wanting to find out even more. Does this stretch out to other financial institutions? How big is this problem? Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because I, uh, I've kind of realized in some ways too, like, my employer is so large, it's hard for change to happen. And I feel in some ways they've been charged two companies to provide these services and these companies aren't providing it. So I've realized I wanna be respectful to my employer cause I like them, but I have no problem ripping the shit out of these other two companies <laughs> at this yeah. point. Cause yeah. they're the ones that have caused me the most amount of harm. Yeah. Um, my employer has paid me this whole time while I've had to deal with this and I'm very grateful and thankful. And the six months that I was back at my job, I enjoyed it very much. And I really want to be back there again. But I also believe that I, I have a right to basic questions being answered around how my personal medical information is stored, shared and used. What type of professionals are making these judgments? Are they trained professionals with an education? Uh, in sensory disability to make fair workplace accommodations. Um, uh, you know, are you setting fair standards for everyone who, who is blind and visually impaired? Like some of the things I shouldn't, you shouldn't have to go through a workplace accommodation to get a accommodation just because you're blind. There should be at least some minimal standardized thing that you get. And if you can't meet those standards, maybe because of physical things or other things, then I can understand going through a, a workplace accommodation process. But that right now, there's effectively no standardized thing uh, for people with a disability is, is ridiculous. I mean, our employers even admitted that a lot of our uh, job aids and that weren't accessible, which they've, they've worked on. For my training, they worked on to, to change that. And I appreciate that. They actually acknowledged something and they made a change so I could do my training. Yeah. Um, but then also, but the thing is, even if one small area is deciding to make change in uh, a company that employs 80,000, um, sometimes it's just, it's so big. Yeah that and so I've learned to really accept even even the people from the CCR oh you know I'm just gonna say it the CCRW and Manulife the insurance company and the not-for-profit uh, uh, company I don't have uh, ill uh, ill feelings to those people I just 
you know, they, they're not qualified and they're trying to do the job the best they can, but you'll also at some point you have to realize that you're not really helping people, you're hurting them. And you should at the very least, uh, I've been very clear with every organization and providing them the information of trained professionals. Uh, and now it's up to these organizations to, to either uh, make changes and hire these types of professionals or it's time for my employer to change service providers. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's the experience of being a blind person. That's it. It's, it's not always rosy, but guess what? I should say I'm a pretty awesome dude in other ways. I have, uh, I have been an actor, a background actor on television. I play blind hockey. I'm an improviser. I'm a comedian. Uh, I've general. I've been employed for 24 straight years, which is a pretty impressive record when the employment stats are about 30 percent. Um, so uh, I think that was the other part I wanted to say. Don't feel bad for blind people, please. When people, when I first thing I say when I say, "Hey, I'm blind," people sometimes say, "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that." I'm just like, "Please do not. I'm doing pretty good." Yeah. And uh, you know what, as long as uh, blind people or any people with disabilities get opportunities, they will also be doing pretty good. Yeah, I think um, something uh, that we should delve into, um, not on this episode, because I think we've been recording for a while. Yeah. But, uh, you know, is the topic of ableism mm -hmm. and uh, why people, you know, don't need to try and take your cane away and walk you across the street exactly. <laughs> or, or tell you that they're sorry that you're blind exactly pity for you because you're exactly. uh uh you know functioning really well in society in just general. function too high for them yeah anyway so that would be an interesting conversation although i think you have talked about it on a blind beginnings podcast is that I, right i talked a little bit about ableism but actually if you want to get even more down in depth on ableism i know uh i believe if you go to the blind beginnings limitless podcast uh yeah. and i love blind beginnings they're they're a family organization i'm sorry i used a potty mouth today Please, please still care and watch Follow Blind <laughs> Beginnings. They don't use potty mouse, but they did a couple of episodes on ableism. So uh, please listen. It's the Blind Beginnings Limitless podcast. It is fascinating and amazing. And you hear yeah. your stories of, of, of blind adults and youth and that are really focused on changing the perceptions of society. Well, that's very cool. And uh, yes, I have... Uh... I guess I'll admit that I am interested in listening to them, but have not, uh, mainly because I'm doing a ton of online stuff um, right now. So I'm like, oh, another, you know, you kind of get a, a media overload. I never listen to this enough podcasts that I should. Right. And then, uh, and also something that's been distracting me is um, I'm kind of really, I'm still watching Mad Men, Doug. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they're an hour long each. Now, <laughs> so that is, a, that corrupt show is dominating some of my life right now. So yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that crop shows dominated a lot of my life with their working conditions. They put on blind people and people with disabilities and women. Yeah. But it's a fascinating show. I, I loved it. Yeah. Are you going to play us a song? Is that your new thing? I'm going to play. No, I got a, you know what? This is my Gibson. I got recently got a 69 Epiphone, which I love, love, love. But I got a, it's not quite, um, I haven't quite got the setup perfect yet. The uh, big E string keeps out popping out of the saddle, but it's the same guitar that Roy Orbison used to uh, uh, record, write a lot of his songs. And I found this out after, but that was really special to me because that was uh, one thing me and my father shared. Our father is we both really loved Roy. And that's one of the few things I have from, uh, I didn't get a lot after his suicide from our, 
our house, but one of the few things I have is uh, the Roy Orbison quality records that we got right before. So it's, uh, I haven't been able to hold on to a lot of stuff for the lot that period of time, but that I have, and it's uh, is special to me. Ah, that is I'm not going to play a Roy Orbison song right now because I don't know any, but I'm going to play a Bob Dylan song. Okay. And if it's shitty, just pretend I'm on David Letterman and I'm Bob Dylan. <laughs> learning more and more songs Doug I gotta learn more songs thank you yeah you know uh but you've you've learned quite a few already yeah thank you I'm trying to start to get a little bit better on singing and timing but you know it's coming it's coming along there you go you just yeah uh I spent a lot of my life being afraid to try things because I didn't think I'd be good enough at them and I think when I was about like, uh, you know, 51, not, <laughs> I figured out uh, maybe a little earlier, but yeah. sometimes you just got to try things and then practice them and you'll get better. Uh, that's what I said. You know what? I read, I might as well throw one last one in here for still recording, but I, uh, I realized at some point, uh, especially with blindness, people are always going to tell you to be saying, you can't do this. You can't do that. So I've realized fuck them. I can do this and I can do that. And I'll learn it my own way. And I don't care if it takes me longer. I don't care if I have to do it in a different way. I do this much less aggressively than I am now, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I just keep trying and I always keep on adapting and find a way. And you know what you, if you have a really any disability, I still feel you can find a way to do the things that you love and you cherish and are going to absolutely break societal expectations of what you can do with a disability. Yeah, I think that's great. And and if you're uh, not disabled and you feel intimidated and not wanting to be vulnerable in the world, you mm -hmm. should try it too. Absolutely. <laughs> Vulnerability is good for everyone. Yes, it is. Anyway, okay, well, Doug, that was really good. So I'm gonna turn off the recording so thank you for listening everyone who listens we appreciate our audience uh, although we really appreciate our audience and we hope to have people listen to us but me and mm -hmm. doug mostly do this because it's fun for us 
Absolutely. <laughs> so, so that's a good thing. Do things right. because you love to do them. And mm -hmm. if you get some, um, oh, let's see, recognition out of it, or uh, if someone learns something good, then that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Sibling Vulnerability. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We shall be making one again soon. This was actually recorded a couple weeks ago, but I have been really busy and did not get it transferred to public form. So hopefully I'll be a little quicker on that next time. We really appreciate all the listens we get though. Have a good day.